Amen. Well, again, thanks for braving the weather to be here today. We're glad you're here. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I, uh, I really enjoy these Sundays in mid to late August uh, because it feels sort of like a homecoming in a lot of ways. I know that many of us have traveled widely this summer, and it's always fun to see friends old and new as the school year begins for many of us. Some of us are in that rhythm, some of us aren't, but it always feels like this time of year we're congregating back, get back together, which is a good thing. For those of you who have been gone a lot this summer, welcome back. Uh, we're glad you're here, and if you're visiting us or, or, or beginning uh, at the beginning of a new school year, sort of reinvesting here, we're glad you're here too. Uh, it's been an excellent summer here at Hinsdale Covenant as we've been studying the Psalms. And this Sunday, uh, well actually this last week, we completed our eight-week reading plan through the Psalms by looking at the last of the Psalms, 150. If you're behind on that reading plan or maybe you haven't even started, you can just start wherever you are and, and go for eight weeks or you can catch up if you're a little behind. I'll admit that I'm a little bit behind. I still have some catching up to do. Um, but as we've journeyed, it's been really interesting to walk through these psalms and, and realize all the things that we've talked about. We've talked about wisdom and folly. We've talked about um, lament, and we've actually practiced that together. We've talked about work and grief and anger and repentance and patient waiting. And I think we've covered almost every aspect of this incredible book of the Bible that is unlike any other. And somewhat fittingly, we close today with Psalm 150, and we end with praise. We end with praise. It's a short, succinct psalm, and it's all about worship. Psalms is a, is a compendium, a book of worship resources. So it makes sense that the last of the psalms, the bookend here, would be centered on praise. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And that's why we did some of that really high worship uh, to begin this morning. So I put this psalm... Uh, on the worship plan because we had started with Psalm 1 and we did Psalm 1 at the beginning of the summer and I figured we should probably end at the end of the Psalms. And, and to be honest, uh, on my first read of this as I was going through, it seemed a little boring to me in some ways. On first read, it was like, okay, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, I got it, got it. Uh, but I'm amazed at how much can be gleaned from just six simple verses here in this Psalm. And it really demands that we walk through it uh, word by word, verse by verse, because what Psalm 50 does is it, is it speaks not merely to the acts of worship, but to a culture of worship, a culture of worship. And that, the question in that is, what is our culture of worship here in this place? What is the culture of worship in your own life? Now, these are terribly important questions for us to be asking. As a church, we're not seeking to be a regular status quo kind of place where we're not trying to, to maintain what we have here. We are seeking renewal from God every single week. We are seeking changed lives and hearts and minds. And here's something that, that, that people who study church sociology will tell you. When God is doing renewal among his people, when he's doing things in their hearts and minds and their souls and their lives to change them, 
it almost always begins with worship, communal worship together. When God is doing a renewal among his people, it almost always starts with worship. That's been true in my life. It's been true in this church. When God is doing something new in this church, I feel a vibrancy here. When God is doing new things in youth group, we notice that they worship with vibrancy. Worship goes from something that is dry and empty or, or just religious or even kind of crazy at times to something where there's this middle place where the spirit and the word come together and people are truly transformed. And that, my friends, is why we are here at this church, to be transformed. Now, this sermon might come across as a sales pitch for Sunday morning worship. That's not my intention this morning. It's actually a call to cultivate the culture of worship here in this place and in our own lives so that God can do the renewal that he seeks to do in our lives and in our hearts and in our church. Now, I recognize that some of you, many of you here might already be on board. You're like, all right, I love worship. I love coming to worship. I love singing. I'm totally on board and I'm committed to this. While some of you might be not quite as committed to this, or, or you might be visiting the church for the first time or the first time in a long time, and, and you're just not kind of sold on this idea of worship. And that's great. If that's you, you're in the right place this morning. Psalm 50 invites each and every one of us, no matter where we are, to ask that question, what is my understanding of worship and how might it change so that God can do a new thing in me and in us? I'm excited enough about this psalm as I've studied it that I'm going to do something foolish. I'm going to throw caution to the wind this morning. Conventional wisdom says to keep your sermon to three points or else people aren't going to be able to follow and they're not going to remember what you said. But, but I'm going to risk it today and, and I'm going to trust that you are sort of locked in and ready today. So I'm going to share seven truths from Psalm 150, a seven point sermon, kind of a dangerous thing to do. But if you take these seven truths to heart, I think it could really change your heart and it could really change your life. So a seven point sermon. Are we in? We ready? Okay, here we go. Number one, worship should be a personal priority for you. Do you consider worship to be a priority for you personally? Because here's the truth. First truth. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to give a lot of truths today. You need to worship. You need to worship. I'm always amazed that I can never know. Even today, we're not as full today because of the weather. But even today, there's no way that I can know where each and every one of you are coming from today. I don't know what you bring with you. I don't know the joys and the pains that you experienced in this last week even. I don't know the burdens that you're carrying or the discouragement you feel or the the anxiety or the nerves or the anger that you feel today. I, I can't know that. I can't speak to all those things. But God does know those things. God does know those things. And that is why worship is so important because it brings our lives before God and, and we diminish ourselves enough to let God take the throne of our lives yet again. That's why we gather to worship. That's why we sing the songs that we sing. And you need that each and every week. Uh, just think about it in the Psalms. All of the joys and the lament and the despair in, in 149 Psalms, where does it end? It ends in praise. And so too with our lives, we bring all of those things and, and, and we praise God. The text agrees with me, by the way, starting in verse 1. This Psalm begins and ends with the same word that in the original Hebrew language is hallelujah. Hallelujah, that's where you get Praise the Lord, hallelujah. That's actually a compound of two Hebrew words, hallel and, and yah. Hallel is to praise, okay? Hallel is to praise. 
And the you on the end of that, hallelujah, is you. You praise. And then Yah is the shortened name of the Lord, Yahweh. It was too holy to say, too holy to even write, and so it just gets shortened to Yah. And that's why we put it together and we say, hallelujah. So what's a dynamic translation of that? It's, you should praise God. That's what hallelujah means. You should praise God. And you see that English translation of praise the Lord. It's okay, but we miss the commandment. You, you praise the Lord. You do it. The psalmist will spend the rest of this psalm calling out to others and instructing them on how to worship. But he begins with this reminder, I think to himself, I need to praise the Lord myself. You, Lars, I need to praise. I need to praise the Lord. So let me ask, again, is worship a priority for you? You need to answer this question, honestly, because in Scripture, hallelujah is a commandment. You praise. It's something we're called to do. I believe that I am at my healthiest when I am really worshiping God. My staff will tell you that one of the, one of the regular prayers that I have on Sunday mornings is that I would be a worshiper before I would seek to lead other people in worship. I pray that prayer because I don't want to miss an opportunity to be in that healthy place where I recognize how much bigger God is than I am, how much bigger he is than whatever I bring to him. I don't want to miss an opportunity to tell him how good he has been to me. It's that kind of heartfelt worship that I'm talking about. And I, and I really want you to ask, is that a priority for me? Do you see that as valuable in your life? If not, I've got a lot more to say on that later, but we better go on to number two. Number two, your worship should involve calling others to worship too. That word hallelujah is a personal command. Yes, you, Lars, praise but it's also the psalmist saying to others, hey, you should praise the Lord too. There's a hallelujah for me, and there's a hallelujah for you. And while worship needs to be a personal priority, it is communal as well. It's a communal priority for us. There's a reason that we sing songs every week, because it's a communal value for us here in virtually every Christian gathering today around the world will worship with music in some way because we need it personally, but we also encourage one another to worship as well. I learned the value of worship when I was really growing in my understanding of worship in the 90s. It was a time in my life, but also uh, in, in, in sort of Christian circles where things came together. At that time, there was this worship movement that was really intensely personal worship. Some of you will remember it. Oftentimes, the worship services were nearly pitch black, um, and the message was in that, it was sometimes said, but it was communicated even if it wasn't said, no one is looking at you when you worship. No one's looking. This is time between you and God, so we're going to turn the lights down. This is your time with God. Oftentimes, even the bands would, would, would play without any lights on the stage. They would just have lights on their, on their stands. And I loved this as a young worshiper because I enjoyed the mood of it. I enjoyed the modesty of it. I'm also kind of convinced that I, I look sort of funny when I'm worshiping. Um, I don't know if some of you feel that way, but I'm pretty convinced that I look sort of strange when I worship. So I like the idea of nobody looking at me that was uh, attractive to me. But as that worship fad sort of went away and the lights were turned up more and things were less anonymous, I began to appreciate that while worship is not about being seen or, or heard or making an impression, 
Worship is meant to be communal. And sometimes when we turn the lights down and we say, this isn't about the person next to you, it's just about you and God, we miss something. Because worship is meant to be communal as well. I still feel like I look strange when I'm worshiping. Um, you're definitely going to be watching me now, I'm sure, now that I said that. But um, I don't really mind if you watch me because there's a hallelujah for me and there's a hallelujah for you too. So look at verse 1 continued there. Praise God in his sanctuary. That brings me to truth number three, which is kind of obvious. Worship is one of the main reasons that we come to church. It's one of the main reasons we come to church. The psalmist tells the readers where to praise God in his sanctuary. Now, this was the temple in Jerusalem, a little different than our gathering here today, but it's actually a pretty good translation. Essentially, worship God in a place that is designed for worship of God. That's a good place for you to be. Now, some of you might be saying, well, musical worship isn't really my thing. I don't really sing. I'm not that comfortable with some of these kinds of gatherings. Aren't, and aren't we supposed to live lives of non-musical worship in our homes, in our workplaces, and so on? And the answer to all of that is yes, life should be lived in a posture of worship to God. But we can't escape the inherent musical nature of the Psalms, let alone Psalm 150. That word hallelujah is actually a musical term. That, that halal word is praise with music. Praise with music. That is to say, musical worship is really important. It is not self-serving for me to say that musical worship in a sanctuary in this church or your local church, if you're visiting with us, it's really important. It's something that you should not miss ever if you can help it. Because the Bible itself says that this is a great place for you to worship God, to express worship to God. But verse 1 continues. Praise him in his mighty firmament, which brings me to truth number 4, if you're tracking. We're already beyond a three-point sermon now, okay? Worship isn't limited to a sanctuary. Sanctuary is a great place to worship, but worship isn't limited to a sanctuary. We should indeed worship God everywhere. But I want to note here what comes first, right? And here's my theory, and if this sort of stings a little bit, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit that, that's stinging. If you have a tough time entering into worship in a sanctuary with your whole self in a, in a heartfelt way, then you're going to struggle to know how to live a life of worship outside these walls. Worship here feeds worship out there. Worship here, where words are provided and it's set to beautiful music, prepares us to worship in places where we need to come up with our own words and our own musical scores to carry us. One of the super tangible ways that sanctuary worship feeds my not sanctuary worship, my worship outside of these walls, is it gives me words that I can use throughout the week. It gives me words. This morning we sang, oh my soul praise him for he is my help and salvation. I picked that hymn for a reason. I love that line. It chokes me up every time I sing it. What incredible words to live by this week. Oh, my soul, praise him, for he is my help and salvation. Without sanctuary worship on a, on a weekly basis, I don't have those words deep in my heart as I enter into the week ahead because I don't know what this week is going to bring. Again, it's not self-serving. Come to church. Worship every Sunday. Worship every opportunity you can. Don't miss it because it's going to feed the worship that you're called to in your work 
and at home and in school and in anywhere that you go. All right, we're going to move on to verse 2. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his surpassing greatness, which brings us to truth number five, which is worship is centered on what God has done and who God is. I was flipping through our hymnal this week, and I was trying to sort of pick out the greatest hits. What are the eight or ten hymns that we sing the most in this church? Uh, And I did the same for our contemporary worship songs as well, for our 1030 service. And my theory going in was spot on. The songs that we love the most and the songs that we sing the most, the most beloved ones here for us, the ones that bless us the most, are the ones that are centered on what God has done and who God is. That message is so clear in those hymns. It is God's character and God's work in our lives and in human history that makes us praise and worship. It makes it well up within us. So if you're struggling to worship, if you're struggling, if you're feeling kind of numb to the worship that's here, my suggestion is to focus on these things. Who is God to you, and what has he done in your life? Who is God to you, and what has he done in your life? Okay, verses 3 through 5. It says, Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Point number six. Every musical expression can be worshipful. doesn't mean that every musical expression is worshipful, but every musical expression can be worshipful. Here's this list of instruments, right? Brass and stringed instruments and pipes and dance and drums. Yes, drums, okay, drums. Not even just drums, clanging drums, loud ones. I love that we have all of those musical expressions available here on Sunday mornings. I think it's a great thing from hymns led on our beautiful pipe organ to guitars and drums and and worship choruses. These are all expressions that are meant to worship God. And I just want to encourage you today, let's not limit how God can be praised musically. Um, I have a brief video to show you to illustrate this a little bit. Um, So watch the screen here. Imagine hearing this in church. Well, in Finland, you can. Heavy metal is very popular in Finland. I think we are the world leader of that. In fact, Finland has the most heavy metal bands per capita in the world. It's so popular, it's showing up in places you wouldn't expect. Meet the Metal Mass Mastermind. My name is Haka Kekäläinen and I'm a pastor. Lutheran Church. I've been a metal fan since 1970 and when I became a pastor it was my dream to do metal masses. Heavy metal might seem completely out of place at church but the services aren't as different as you might think. Metal mass is quite normal mass but we have arranged all hymns in metal music. These hymns are the same in our official hymn book. We have two guitarists and bass player and also keyboard and drums. And I am a master of the whole ceremony. You might think the intense music would turn churchgoers off, but it's had just the opposite effect. Metal masses are quite popular now in Finland. Churches are quite full. Every kind of people comes to metal masses. People have more fun in our masses. For me, metal music is 
very positive and relaxing music. It's nothing to do with Satan or Satanism. We are doing because of God, for God. After every Mass, I meet people outside. and They say that they are so full of joy and fun. God loves metal music and God loves us. Now, I'll admit that I'm not into heavy metal. That's not really my musical genre. Maybe that's not your musical genre. Maybe there's some closet heavy metal fans in the service I don't know about. Um, I'd love to experience this mass maybe once, right? Uh, but I might not want to go to it every week. It is okay to have musical preferences. You're likely in this service, uh, at least in part because you prefer traditional music. You prefer the organ. And we have both traditional and contemporary worship here, and I'm so thankful that our church has not divided over musical styles. That's a great gift. It's okay to have your preference, a kind of music that really leads you into worship personally. But here's what I love, and here's what challenges me. That Finnish pastor at the very end saying, God loves heavy metal music. Even in the midst of our preferences, can we affirm that God loves a type of music that maybe you don't love? Can you affirm that any kind of instrument, if used to worship God, can be a tool for praising him? Can we see the inherent worshipfulness of a type of worship that maybe we don't prefer? If we can, I think we'll all certainly be better off, and I think God will teach us a great many things and surprise us. But remember that we do not come to worship to confirm our musical preference. That's not the way we come to worship together. We come to worship, and, 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 and worship comes from all instruments. Again, don't dismiss the organ or the guitar or the drums or horns. These are in the pages of Scripture, and they are created to make music to their creator. God loves them all. So lastly, verse 6. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's the last truth I'm going to hit on today. And it's truth number seven. You're commanded to use your voice to praise Jesus. To use your voice to praise Jesus. Commanded because of this double hallelujah at the end of the verse, at the end of, the, at the end of the, uh, verse six. That last commandment here is that if you have breath, you should be praising God. The psalmist leaves the most important instrument for last, the human voice. In the, psalms, uh, in the psalmist's command, to, to everything that has breath, there is an inherent question, who gave you that breath? God did. So when we worship him, we're returning our breath to him in praise. Now, I'm not going to point out anybody here in the service, certainly, um, but I'm sure that there are some of you here who just don't sing. Maybe you're tone deaf, maybe you don't like your voice, maybe it's uncomfortable for you, maybe you're afraid of how you're going to look, Maybe communal singing just isn't really your thing and it seems kind of hokey to you. But I'm sure that there are some here who just don't sing. Can I encourage you today? Nobody cares here if you can hold a tune or not. Nobody cares how you look. I don't want you to withhold praise from the one who gave you breath. That can't be good for your heart, for your spiritual life. Instead, I want you to sing. Let her rip. Take a serious, the call from Psalm 150, and let everything that has breath praise the Lord. God loves 
the instrument that you bring every week. So there it is. Seven-point sermon. We made it through. Way to stay with me. I want to tell you a story just to sort of bring this all together as we close. Probably 10 years ago at this church, I was sitting in what was then the 1115 Contemporary Service. I was sitting down here in the front. The service had just started. We had just finished the first worship song. And often I, um, I worship with my eyes closed, and so things can be happening around me. I don't really know what's going on. I don't know how long they were closed, maybe a minute. But when I opened them, there was a young girl, uh, maybe five years old at the time, standing next to me. And uh, she was a child of the church. I knew her. And so I leaned over and I said, does your mom know that you're here? Because I didn't see her mom anywhere. And she said, yes. And then she started singing along with the next song quite loudly. She didn't really know the melody, but she was singing and sort of mumbling and humming. And then right in front, she started dancing. And she, she came to this line, and if our God is for us, who could ever stop us? And she was singing so loudly. And then she grabbed my hands and made me dance with her right in front here. Um, that's a little bit outside of my comfort zone, uh, if you know me. After a couple songs, she just left. And it was kind of this surreal experience of watching what worship should be, right? It was heartfelt, it was participatory, it was personal, but it was not individualistic. It was creative, and it was sweet. And since then, I've really tried to not care about sounding good or looking strange or coming across as too zealot or even clapping hands and, and, and moving my feet a little bit because we are in a place of worship. We have an opportunity to bring our whole lives before God because we are his children, to dance and sing and mumble in his house, unabashed, not self-conscious. Don't miss out on that opportunity for any reason. There's a hallelujah for you this morning, a command to praise God, and a hallelujah for all of us. So I want us to join our hallelujahs together so that we might remember that hallelujah each and every day. And that's the end of the Psalms. The Psalms begin and end with musical praise, which makes sense because so does the Bible. Genesis tells us of God singing over all creation into existence with his very breath. Job talks about the stars singing at creation. Zechariah talks about a God who rejoices over us with singing. And then at the end of our Bible in Revelation 19, we get a vision of heaven where all creation sings praise to Jesus Christ forever and ever. And what do they shout to him? Hallelujah, salvation and glory. You should praise Jesus, hallelujah. My friends, we are in the in-between of this glorious singing at creation and, and at Jesus' second coming. And what better way to play our part in the middle of God's great story than to raise our voices in hallelujah as well. I want to end with just a quote this morning from Tim Keller, um, his reflection on Psalm 150. The Psalms are, in the end, a miniature of life. Every possible experience, if prayed to the God who is really there, is destined to end in praise. Confession leads to the joy of forgiveness. Lament leads to a deeper resting in, our, for our, in him for our happiness. 
If we could praise God perfectly, we would love him completely and then our joy would be full. The new heavens and the new earth are perfect because everyone and everything is glorifying God fully and therefore enjoying him forever. So Psalm 50 gives us a glimpse of that unimaginable future. So praise him everywhere, for everything, in every way. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Would you join me in prayer this morning before we open our voices in worship to close? Lord, we thank you for giving us breath. May we, Lord, commit to returning that breath to you in praise and worship for who you are and what you've done. Lord, we bring so much with us when we come to worship, and you know it all. I pray that our response together this morning might be one of true worship, true praise. May we remind ourselves that we should praise God, hallelujah. May we remind one another that we should praise God, hallelujah. And in our praise, Lord, we lift our very lives up to you, our joys and our sorrows. We think of the beginning of this school year for so many and what it means for our ministry here at this church. We lift up this church to you. May this be a house of deep worship. May you do a renewal movement among us, Lord, in our worship and in every corner of this building and in every life. Would you do your work of renewing us, Lord? Do the work that you want to do in our lives and our hearts. We open ourselves to you. We think of those who come this morning with grief, for those who have lost loved ones, for those who feel the heaviness of life. May worship be a, a, a salve to them this day, a healing balm. For those of us who come with anticipation, with questions, with doubts, with nerves and anxiety, may our praise to you set our hearts in places of comfort and peace and contentment. For those of us who come with hearts of joy and celebration overflowing in praise to you, may you multiply that praise, Lord. And we pray that our culture of worship might be one that is heartfelt and sincere and not self-conscious and sweet, sweet, sweet music to you.